0: Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau. I'm Dan Pfeiffer. Dan, you and I haven't potted in a while. It's, it's, it's good to see you. My vacation. You took a couple times off. You yeah, have and I am about to go on up... vacation. If we had, yeah, this...
1: I was nervous that if we did not pot it today, we would go six oh, like six weeks without podcasting, which has not happened. We haven't gone like three
0: weeks without podcasting in S- six years <laughs> since we
1: started this damn thing. Yeah. Which
0: yeah. Was... Well, we're gonna make this one count. We have a uh, we have a fun show today. Our pal Jen Psaki is going to be joining to preview the first Republican debate, laugh about Ron DeSantis's ongoing struggle to appear human, uh, talk about how Joe Biden and the Democrats can handle Trump's courtroom campaign, and play around of two takes and a fake. But first, the Republican candidates are preparing for next week's debate, with the notable exception of the frontrunner who's preparing to turn himself in at the Fulton County Jail, Donald Trump. And the 18 co-defendants, who are part of what District Attorney Fonnie Willis calls a criminal enterprise, have until August 25th to surrender after being charged with 13 felony counts for trying to overturn the election in Georgia. There's reporting that suggests Trump will surrender at the jail next week, where he'll be fingerprinted and have a mugshot taken. But before anyone gets too excited, uh, just know that Trump will be holding a press conference on Monday. Or at least he says he'll be holding a press conference on Monday where he promises to present evidence of election fraud that is so, quote, irrefutable that, quote, all charges should be dropped against me and others. Here's uh, Steve Ducey hyping it up on Fox and Friends. And apparently the document focuses on voting anomalies in the state of Georgia. And uh, Ms. Harrington has been on X, uh, formerly known as as, uh, Twitter, and said, kind of giving us a, a preview it said georgia has been among the most corrupt elections in the country and they haven't gotten any better since 2020 they've gotten worse tune in monday
2: and he said on Truth Social, Donald Trump, they never went after those that rigged the election. They only went after those that fought to find the riggers. Right. And in this indictment in, in Georgia, in all these indictments, it allows him to have discovery. So his lawyers will have discovery and will find out information. And I heard this morning, Brian, uh, an attorney said, I think it was on Fox and Friends First, was saying the best argument he has is to tell the truth. And if he finds out that it, that something did happen in the election, then he would have proof and then maybe he could exonerate himself what he has we don't know we'll find out
0: okay uh before we get to uh this year's version of uh the four seasons total landscaping press conference um <laughs> let's uh let's talk about uh the indictment itself because uh we haven't yet heard your reaction we did a uh, we obviously did the tuesday pod uh late once the indictment actually dropped we now have a total of four indictments and 91 felony charges uh how'd this one hit for you uh, did they did they save the best for last, or uh, in the words of of Ruth Marcus at the Washington Post, is George's case against Trump one case too many? <laughs> I love it when people specifically audition to be on Take Appreciator. <laughs> I, know, <it's> like, <laughs> I was like, is that a real? I saw someone said it. I was like, is that a real headline? And then I read the piece. It's not a good piece. <laughs> I love Ruth Spoil- Marcus, just, but not everyone. Not every day piece. is a great day. No, that happens. We all have misses. Uh, all right, what'd you think? what do you think of Georgia? If you're asking me in terms
1: of the political significance or the legal severity or my own personal enjoyment, <laughs> this one hit different in terms of my personal enjoyment. Like, what mm. more could you ask for? You got all of the MAGA goons we love to hate, Jenna Ellis, Sidney Powell, Rudy Giuliani, who did not get paid for committing these crimes, which I find to be quite amusing. Yeah. <laughs> all involved, you have... Cameras in the courtroom for the trial that we hopefully will have someday before uh, the election, and the way because it's a, you guys talked about this Melissa on Monday night slash Tuesday morning, but the fact that this is a RICO case it allows the prosecution to tell the real story of what happened, not just focus on individual violations of specific statutes. It is the whole story, and that is enjoyable to me for sure. How much political impact it will have? That is an open question that we can discuss.
0: It is an open question. I mean, I think most people... Or is it, I guess. Yeah, well, we'll see. Uh, Most people, I think, probably aren't familiar with the legal details of a racketeering charge. Uh, Of course, we're now experts after a couple days of uh, reading some pieces. Um, But I think the story of what Trump tried to do in Georgia is pretty well known and easy to understand. I had not, I don't know if you have, I had not gone back and read the entire transcript of Trump's call with Raffensperger since like 2020. That call is wild. It, it is not just him being, I mean, because the headline of the call, of course, is like, find me 11,000 votes, right? But when you really like read the transcript or listen to the call, he's like, he, there. there is threats too. He's like, if you don't do this, you could be committing a crime and that would be bad for you. If you don't do this, the people of Georgia will be very, very angry. Bad things could happen. And, I mean, it's, and then he's like, forget the, and then Mark Meadows, his his co-defendant in this indictment, one of his many co-defendants, is on there being like, can't we just not go through the court, the legal process? Let's get away from the courts. You can just change the numbers yourself. You can do this. Like, it is just so fucking blatant. (laughs) And I think that's like, talking about, again, we don't know what the political impact is going to be, but just, In terms of what most people can understand, I do think this one is pretty easy to grasp. There's also, like, you know, we have orders drafted in the White House to seize voting machines. And then that's connected to some fucking yahoos in uh, Coffee County, Georgia, who uh, just, like, let Trump's lawyers in and some other goons to, like, just... access sensitive voting information, just breach voting systems against the law. There's people like, there's like Kanye West publicist threatening poll workers (laughs) and saying like, I don't know, I can't tell you what, this is on video. I can't tell you what's going to happen to you, but um, this is a party with a lot of loose ends that it needs to tie up. I mean, this is, (laughs) it is just, it feels much more like dramatic and severe than even some of the other indictments.
1: Oh, for sure, compared to, obviously, the indictment around the hush money payments or the classified documents. with that indictment is also chock full of delicious morsels. Yes. But they it is – and the polling has shown this, that the voters take more seriously and are more concerned about the insurrection-related crimes than the other two indictments. Um, the other thing that's just – I I had not like you read the uh, transcript of the the call until you told you told me to read it la- the other yeah. day, and it is it it's a reminder that Trump, when the cameras are not on, talks exactly like a character in a poorly written episode of Sopranos. It's it is mafia <laughs> cosplay. It is what he does. It is it is threats. It, and it is. is all-
0: I don't need to know. I don't need to know what you're doing. I just need, you just, you figure it out. You figure out the right people, the right thing. I don't need to know. He says that like a couple times.
1: Yeah, I mean, he, he, even though he, those who saw me on camera, he does talk like someone who thinks someone in the room might be wearing a wire at all times, where it's, <laughs> here, I'm giving you the crime orders, but then I'm also going to say a few things that my defense lawyer can hang on to try to keep me out of jail. It is, I mean, it's not like he's particularly careful in what he says, in public. But there really is a difference when he thinks the the press is not in the room.
0: Yeah. I think the other notable uh, part of the Georgia indictment is that all of these co-defendants are going to have uh, some real trouble here. Like there is still, you know, if, if Trump is able to delay this and if Trump was able to win the election, you know, there's a, a lot of legal an- analysts think that, you know, even though it's a state prosecution and not a federal, the Supreme Court would you know, side with Donald Trump and saying he's a sitting president, he can't be charged here, right? But um, he can't pardon these 18 co-defendants. They're pretty fucked. <laughs> and a lot of them are either going to have to flip on Trump or serve time. And that's Rudy, that's Jenna Ellis, all the people that you mentioned. And that is uh, that's different than some of these other indictments. And a
1: bunch of these lower-level people we never heard of, the former Republican Party chair of Georgia, yep. and these other folks who may have le- – see less of a future in themselves as a MAGA media martyr than the Jenna Ellis' and Sidney Powell's of the world.
0: Yeah. So Funny Willis wants to try these goons on March 4th, which is the day before Super Tuesday and a week before Georgia's primary. It does seem ambitiously optimistic. Trump is, of course, going to try to delay. Mark Meadows has already filed a motion to move the case from state court to federal court. Uh, Trump will likely try to do the same. Uh, How are you feeling about the chances we'll uh, we'll get this one in before the election?
1: I was feeling good, and then I Googled, how long does a RICO case take? And (laughs) (laughs) it seems like it takes a long time. The other ongoing high profile RICO case in Fulton County Georgia is the YSL case that case has gone on for well over a year jury selection took alone took many months and so
0: it's still happening they still haven't yeah. been seated <laughs> the case started in May of last year they've been doing jury selection since January
1: <laughs> and if you think it's hard to get a a jury of people who don't who don't have an opinion on young thug. Wait till you <laughs> get to try to ask about Donald Trump. And what about old thug? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <The> old thug? yeah, old thug. <laughs> oh, man, that's something. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the other There's another racketeering case. Fonnie Willis brought uh, about teachers in Georgia cheating on tests. <laughs> that took two years. So, I mean, now look, there's circumstances are different. She obviously knows what the calendar is. And so she's probably prepared for this. But uh, it is, you know, it's uh, it's going to be tricky. And it's also tricky to get like 19 defendants all coordinated together because they could all be, you know, filing motions to delay. Okay, so this is the part where we talk about how all the previous indictments haven't changed people's opinion of Trump in any significant way, especially Republican voters. Uh, Any reason to think this indictment will be different? No.
1: (laughs) Just I think we have to level set our expectations here. There is not some Aaron Sorkin moment here where a large swath of the public or the Republican electorate just wakes up and says, you know what? Four crimes is too many. Or I was with him for the first 81 felony charges, but once he got over 90, I'm out. Like, it just doesn't work that way. And there's a ABC Ipsos poll out this morning that charts the percentage of people who think Trump should be charged with a crime after every indictment. So they did one after the first, second, third, fourth. And it has stayed... I'd like to say it's stays steady. It actually has gone down. It was 54% of people thought that after the first one and is down to 50% now. And, but that doesn't mean it doesn't matter. That's an important thing is that whatever... in a period, in a period of high polarization, the changes are going to happen on the margins. And so there are specific groups of people we ought to look at to see how this impacts them. And also it's just, I think we have to have some humility about these things, which is charges covered in the news is one thing when they're Donald Trump's actually sitting at a defendant table for weeks at a time, or he gets a guilty verdict or any of those things can have impacts in all kinds of ways. Getting off. In one of these trials yeah. can have a massively negative impact for the political direction we want to go. And so the, cha- the it can still have an impact. It's just we're not – there's not a damn breaking here where the whole political electorate shifts because of how one of these cases go It's my best guess.
0: I think the polling right now is very noisy and you know, also polling is a snapshot in time and it's usually a snapshot of like what has happened a couple of weeks ago. So I think it's going to take some time for all the polling to sort itself out. And, you know, like you mentioned the Ipsos poll, there was a Quinnipiac poll out yesterday that said like, think Trump should be prosecuted for trying to overturn 2020, including 57% of independents, 12% of Republicans. Uh, It also said nearly 7 in 10 Americans think that if a person is convicted of a felony, they should not be eligible to run for president of the United States, uh, including 58% of Republicans. Of course, Trump's name wasn't in the question, right? So probably those numbers would change if it was. Um, But I do think, to your point, like, I think the only exception here, and and it's, as you said, all of these changes are going to be on the margins. Like if you somehow if Fannie Willis can get this case going and we know that there's going to be cameras in the courtroom and people are seeing Trump sitting in a courtroom for weeks on end, even in, in you know, February, March, and somehow he's convicted. <laughs> You could see it, even even in the Republican primary, that's the only possibility that you could see it on the margin, right? We keep talking about the 25% of Republican voters who say, like, they're not going to vote for Trump. The like, 37% MAGA base that's all in. Those middle persuadable voters, if Trump is convicted in Georgia of a felony and he's been in a courtroom, uh, maybe some of them, maybe some of the college-educated ones are like, eh, I'll give whoever a shot, you know? But... I, I still think it's unlikely, but that is the only scenario I could imagine it changing the primary.
1: The timing is very challenging here because yeah. you would really need the Jack Smith case to start on its original early January proposed timeline to have any impact on the primary. The, given how Republicans allocate delegates in their primary, by the time you get to March 4th, the most ideal day upon <laughs> which this trial could possibly start, it's likely over. We're pretty darn close to over. So we're not in a world – I don't think we're living in a world where there's a Georgia verdict before the the a candidate, most likely Donald Trump, as we sit here today, has amassed the necessary delegates to be the nominee. Yeah. Now, if you just to get a little into where some of the changes could happen, probably in ways that matter more in the general election, the primary, is in the New York Times-Siena poll, there's currently – I think it's about 10% of voters – of Trump voters think he committed a crime. So they they will tell a pollster they think Trump committed a crime, but then they will say, I am also voting for Trump. There are 17% of voters who think Trump committed a crime and thinks that his actions endanger democracy, and they're also voting for Trump. Trump's vote number in that poll and in almost all the polls exceeds his approval rating by five to seven points, depending on the poll. Those people are all potentially gettable in this world. And I do think... We make the political conversation a little overly narrow. We focus only on what is technically illegal. There is just this world in which the full, um, just the whole thing, the chaos, the corruption, the criminality is just too much for them. And so you could think, man, I don't think it's a crime. I think that Biden's weaponizing the government. All these people are corrupt political folks. That's a lot, right? Do we really need this? this, How is this going to help me? And so there is something in that world where it has an effect that goes beyond sort of the narrow question of did he commit a crime?
0: Yeah. When we're talking about the general election, if you really start like squinting at all the polling, you can start to see how this could really weigh on Trump. There was an AP poll this week that has 64% of Americans saying they would definitely or probably not support Trump in a general. Now, that's combining definitely and probably, but that's still a pretty big number of people who say they won't vote for Trump. Of course, it's only one poll. It's interesting, too, in the Q poll, I noticed they asked people the most important issues uh, to them. And obviously, the economy was at 32 percent. But democracy was right behind at 28 and, percent and, and preserving democracy. That's and a fake question. What's that?
1: Well, that? The problem with that question is both sides think democracy is at risk. They just yeah. think it for different reasons.
0: Yeah. Although I think that I haven't seen it that high in a list for a while.
1: Yeah. It, because That's because the Repo- – I haven't looked at the time series on the Q poll, mm. but the way I've seen this in some other polls is that the number has crept up as Trump is being prosecuted for more things. Because the Democratic number is Trump is a threat to democracy and should be prosecuted. The Republican view about democracy is democracy is at risk because Donald Trump is being prosecuted. Yeah. And so you get you a number that is high. You'd have to you would need a larger sample size, I think, to understand if there's a group of people in the middle who, you know, are not partisan D's, partisan Rs who are have an increased concern about democracy. But that's a very trickily worded question in a lot of polls, I think.
0: I mean, I do think we can also uh be complicating the simple here. Like we are heading in to a presidential election where one of the major candidates will be in court for Like a good amount of the beginning of the campaign, (laughs) maybe even deep into the campaign, like certainly all of the campaign, certainly the spring of 2024. He's going to be in court and because there's going to be inevitable delays, you could easily see it stretching into the summer of 2024 and the fall of 2024. And like, what is that? I mean, we have no idea. We have no idea what impact that is going to have because there are we are paying close attention to this right now. If you're listening to this, you're paying close attention. But there are so many people in this country who just are not tuning into politics right now. And when they tune in in a presidential election year and one of the two major candidates is sitting in a courtroom uh, being tried for one of his 91 felony counts, uh, who knows? Who knows? Maybe it won't matter. (laughs) Maybe it won't matter. But, you know, common sense.
1: That is an important point is that most people and the people who are primarily going to decide really not just the general election, but also the primary are not dialed into the news yet. They're not paying attention to this. There was a Farley Dickinson University poll from last week where they ran a test uh, and they asked people if they were open to supporting someone other than Trump. Mm-hmm. And then they reminded them about the indictments, and then re asked the question. And the number of Republicans open to supporting someone other than Trump went up by 11 points after that. Oh wow! That's they also pointed out that that was not enough to win, <laughs> but it was. <laughs> but it does it does show that Taking
0: small victories here. Yes,
1: small it does. Victories. It does show that the the biggest and a reminder of the biggest chasm in politics is not between Republicans and Democrats, it's between the politically engaged and yes. the people who pay less attention to politics.
0: Yes. All right. Let's talk about what Trump's calling his large, complex, detailed, but irrefutable report that will prove once and for all that the 2020 election was rigged for Joe Biden. Uh, So he's he's planning this press conference and he's going to finally finally release the evidence that Georgia was rigged. But before we recorded this, I saw ABC News report that um, uh, his his legal advisors are telling him might not be a good idea. And now there's serious doubt about whether he'll hold the press conference because they're a little worried. I mean, which that was like an instinct of, of mine when I heard this news. Like, isn't he just making Fonnie Willis and, and Jack Smith's jobs easier by going out there and continuing to lie about, like, the election being rigged? I don't
1: want to pretend to be a lawyer. But just as a point of fact— Even if he were, and he is not going to be, even if he were to prove some election irregularities, that would not make the crimes go away.
0: I mean, I guess he's going to like, I guess he's just trying to be consistent here and he's going to go with the insanity defense that he (laughs) genuinely believes all the shit, all the kooky conspiracies. Right. He just he just he's in the Hugo Chavez changing the voting machines, the Dominion stuff, the lasers, all of it's real. And once
1: again despite all the press coverage to the contrary, it is not true that if Donald Trump can prove he believed the election right. was stolen, that he was allowed to commit a bunch of crimes. Right. If you truly believed that your neighbor stole your lawnmower, you were not allowed to break into their house and try to steal it back.
0: <laughs> like you can't that, do that. But when you look at their defense, it's like, what other options do they have? They have that they're They're basically saying, uh, also, my my lawyers told me it was OK to steal the lawnmower uh, and I didn't know I thought the lawnmower I didn't I didn't think it was the neighbors. I thought it was mine. I thought it was mine. And my lawyers told me it was mine. So I took the lawnmower. Your defense. I don't, this is not a good defense, but I'm saying no. I, I actually don't know what else what what other defense there is.
1: I think their def- their legal defense is going to be their political defense, which is these are a bunch of politicized investigations trying to target yeah. someone for political reasons and that has my, been my work actually, in
0: the electorate not going to work on that's an, <laughs> did, it only, only got work on
1: one per, only got to work on one person
0: yeah that's right that is the, the jury is the electorate we have uh we've said this before okay so these the these and the other thing about this i just want before we get to the press conference if it happens like of course he's doing the press conference next week and we're going to talk about the debate when jen gets here but like <laughs> Just imagine all these fucking bozos who are who are preparing for the debate, and then Donald Trump on Monday or or Tuesday, whenever he decides to do this, just wall to wall coverage of Donald Trump doing this bullshit press conference, and then he forces everyone to talk about him and his press conference and his like fake evidence at the debate. It's perfect. I wouldn't also be surprised, by the way, if Donald Trump uh, decides to turn himself in at the jail on the day of the on the day of the debate. I mean that that's of course, that's coming, right?
1: Yeah, the day of or the day after. Either way, just step on everyone's if everyone's news. <laughs> the press conference is is great. I really feel like we're at an unstoppable force and an immovable object because Donald Trump has would never promise something and then not deliver, and he but he would also never not listen to his attorneys, right? <laughs> So where is this going to go?
0: Yeah, not listening to his attorneys has gotten him here with 91 oh. felony charges, or I guess listening to some of them who are also his now co-defendants. Um, all right. So the small handful of Republicans uh, not named in the Georgia indictment uh, are not pleased that Trump is uh, quadrupling down on his uh, uh, election fraud claims. Uh, Dave Carney's a longtime Republican strategist. He talked to Politico uh, and he's he said it's a terrible position. uh, to be in for anyone trying to win 2024 in terms of Republicans. He said, if our party is talking about 2020, we're going to lose. Do you agree?
1: Going to lose is a strong statement, but there is ample evidence from 2022 that relitigating 2020 is a huge problem for republicans. You know, we, we've mentioned this before, but there's a Stanford Business School study which showed that the can- the candidates who ran on a platform of the big lie or were, you know, prominent election deniers did nearly 3 points worse than other republicans and those that happened in several key states. It's probably the reason, almost certainly the reason democrats still have the senate and they came so close in the house.
0: Yeah, again, there's like a a, a significant delta between republican voters who like Donald Trump And Republican voters who think that Donald Trump lost the election, you know, most Republicans buy his bullshit on this. But by Trump talking only about 2020 or making that his central message, he's sort of cleaving his own base here because there are enough Republicans who do believe that Donald Trump lost um, that just by running on relitigating 2020, um, it's 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 a tough message for a general electorate. <laughs> good for the primary. Again, good for the primary, but it's or maybe good for the primary. Debatable if it's good for the primary, but it's like here's the thing is, he can get the whole base together by saying like, "Oh, we should all fight Joe Biden," right? Like if it's, you know, Biden should lose in 2024, that's going to be more effective for him than Biden lost in 2020.
1: Would you believe me if I told you that the percentage of Republicans who think the 2020 election was illegitimate is 20 points larger than Donald Trump's vote margin in the primary right now.
0: So what is it now?
1: It's 70% of people who yeah. think 70% of Republicans, it's been pretty consistent for, you know, going on two and a half years now, think the election was illegitimate in some way. And Trump's getting something like 52% or something in the polling average.
0: But even that, it's like that's that's 30% of Republicans that in a general election don't think that the election was stolen. And that's not enough to win,
1: but it's and it's also a little bit of a tricky question because saying the election was stolen is a is a pe- part of people's Republican identity. That does not mean they think that should be on the first seventeen pages of the Republican platform, or yeah. that it should be the focus, or that's what they want to talk about. It's just how do you distinguish yourself from a bunch of uh, deep state liberal cucks? You say the election was stolen, right? Even if you truly believe it or not.
0: Yeah, it's just yeah. You, I mean. I'm sure all these Republican consultants are just looking at all the data. And it's like, uh, case is a lot easier if we're just like, hey, Joe Biden should lose. <laughs> Wait, Joe Bi- If you don't like Joe Biden, here's Donald Trump. He's the he's the best way to beat Joe Biden. He's our only way to beat Joe Biden. It's a much easier message. But Donald Trump's going to be out there being like, no, 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 let's talk about 2020. Great. Fine. Um, all right. Before we bring on Jen, two quick housekeeping notes. Vote Save America is turning five. And thanks to all of you. Over the last five years, VSA has raised more than $55 million and mobilized 500,000 voters and volunteers to support progressive causes. Uh, Needless to say, we are very proud of VSA, but none of it would be possible if you all didn't keep showing up the way you have. If you want to help VSA with a very big and terrifying 2024, uh, head over to VotesaveAmerica.com now. Also, on the occasion of Trump's fourth indictment, a reminder... That you're going to want to grab our totally impartial potential juror t-shirt to signal that you are totally unbiased and ready to serve in New York, D.C., Florida, or Georgia. (laughs) Pick a state. Uh, Hillary Clinton has one of these t-shirts. little disappointed she didn't wear it during her interview with Rachel Maddow. Uh, the night of the Georgia indictments, but that's okay. I'm sure it was just uh, in the wash. Um, but you can get your t shirt. It's slash uh, store. Uh, so go get one now. Okay, when we come back, Jen Psaki will be joining us to talk more about the Georgia indictment, the first Republican debate, and how Joe Biden and the Democrats should handle the trials of Donald Trump. We're back, and we're joined by our former colleague and good pal Jen Psaki, who's now the host of Inside with Jen Psaki on MSNBC. Hey, Jen.
2: Hi. How are you guys?
0: Good. Thanks for doing this.
2: My, we have a lot to
0: talk about. We have a lot to talk about.
2: I know. My my favorite governor, Ron DeSantis.
0: Oh my goodness! Yeah, that guy. We'll 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 get to him. We'll get to him. So I'm sure you've been on MSNBC for like 100 hours this week talking about the uh, latest and probably final Trump indictment. From a political standpoint, do you see anything different or noteworthy about the Georgia case? How do you think the uh, average voter is, is processing all these indictments right now?
2: Well, I mean, I do think that it's different because it kind of goes back to Trump's obsession with Georgia and the fact that he was the first person to lose Georgia since uh, George W. George H.W. Bush, George W. I mean, decades. Right. So So he was obsessed with it. It's also a state that he then Democrats won two Senate seats in. So it's kind of I mean, it's like a little bit of a it's been beating him for a while, defeating him for a while. But then you also look at some of the Republicans in the state, like Brian Kemp and Brad Raffensperger, they've also been pushing back on Trump, too. They've not exactly been aligning themselves with him and they don't seem to be coming to his defense or even be willing to help him in his efforts at this point in time. So that's kind of significant. And then, of course, there's the piece. And I don't know if this is the politics, although I guess it's like significant on its own, that because it's a state case, I mean, he can't pardon himself. Right. The governor can't even pardon him. Not that Brian Kemp wants to. And you can't even seek a pardon until five years after you've served your time. So there do feel like a lot of differences. But to me, the politics of it and like Republican officials, people who are we've never even heard of until now, who seem like big targets to flip, they're like, I didn't want to be involved in this. And now I'm involved in this. Plus the fact that it's a state that he needs to win in order to win the presidency. So it does feel a little different politically to me. Maybe not yeah. yet, but it feels like it will be.
0: Maybe uh, Misty Hampton and, and Kanye's former publicist will take him down, uh, <laughs> right. which is what we all would have guessed. People uh, were like,
2: I wasn't <laughs> intending to be a part of this whole journey exactly, but here we are.
0: <laughs> so uh, I imagine the indictments will certainly be a topic at the first Republican presidential debate in Milwaukee next Wednesday. Whether or not Trump actually shows up, we still don't know. Uh, Ron DeSantis super PAC, which we are going to talk about in a second, has uh, released this ad uh, sort of taunting Trump for not showing up at the debate. Let's listen.
3: I hear he's afraid to debate. Is that true? I hear he's afraid to debate. He's too cowardly to even show up
2: and debate.
1: Suggested you may skip the early Republican primary debates.
2: Why would I let these people take shots at me? We can't afford a nominee who is too weak to debate. These debates, are, they're just brutal. We need a nominee with stamina, a nominee who's sharp. Huh? Uh, uh. Republicans deserve a candidate who
0: earns our vote. But I probably won't bother doing the debate. Not one who demands it.
2: What happened to Donald Trump?
0: Do either of you think there are any risks for Trump? If he skips this thing, Dan.
1: No, he would be, uh, <laughs> I said that I talked about this, Alyssa, last week. He'd be a moron for debating. Yeah. Well, here are here are his choices. Stand on stage with a bunch of people who are not within 20 to 30 points of him in the polls and have them attack him relentlessly or stay home, order in some McDonald's and watch them all attack Ron DeSantis, the guy closest to him in the polls.
2: Yeah, I mean, or the third choice, which is turn himself in which he yeah. thinks is maybe politically palatable. I know this is like the crazy world we're living in. Can we just have a moment on this? Yeah. That the whole debate between Republican strategists, many of whom on background, seems to be not whether or not all of these indictments are bad for him, but whether it's better for him politically if he turns himself in the day of the debate or the day after the debate, <laughs> right? So that's like the debate that they are having among themselves at this point.
0: It. I mean... I kind of wonder, I agree with you guys that the first one he can definitely skip. He's going to skip the second one because uh, he has a problem with the people associated with the Ronald Reagan <laughs> library. Uh, but like, how long can he get? He's gonna Does he have to debate at some point or could he like go through the whole primary season without debating?
2: If he s- continues leading by this much, why would he debate? I mean, also, I mean. These people are going to have to still keep qualifying. They're going to have to still have money to be in the race, right? Is he going to get up on the debate stage with Vivek Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley and Mike? I don't even know who's going to be in the next rounds of this. It it seems like kind of why would he, to, to Dan's point, unless the dynamic changes massively.
1: There is no way in which being in the same room with Doug Burgum <laughs> is going to elevate your campaign. Yeah. Wow. Like the thing that Trump, so, That's sorry. My John, guy. He's That's He's your my hand guy. chosen Doug. candidate. Doug, it's yeah.
2: nothing personal <laughs> if you're listening.
1: <laughs> my, se- my second favorite Doug. You and Tommy and Lovett talked about this on Monday on the first version of the podcast before the indictment came mm. about why whether Trump would pay any price for not flipping pork at the campaign and why he, in Iowa, and why he doesn't do it. But what Trump understands and maybe the only thing he understands is power dynamics. Mm-hmm. And he knows there's a huge stature gap between Trump, a former president who's leading in the polls and is famous and adored by the Republicans, and a bunch of these guys trying to beat Trump. So he And he very carefully avoids doing the parts of campaigns that are very minimizing, staying on a soapbox in the Iowa State Fair and being yelled at, performatively eating fried food and all these other things. So the debate is the core of that. Once you stand on stage with those people, you can be seen as equal. And I think he could go the whole, as long as the dynamic, as Jen said, the dynamics are the same, he can go the whole way. He can get through
0: Iowa New Hampshire without debating. There's risk in that strategy, but he could pull it off. Yeah. I could plan his entire Wednesday. He he goes and he turns himself in at the Fulton County jail. Uh, he, you know, he he gets fingerprinted mugshot. He smiles in the mugshot. And then he leaves. And he goes, he does a big rally in Atlanta (laughs) just outside, or like Cobb County or something, right? Coffee County. He goes goes back to Coffee Coffee County. County.
2: Where's Misty? Come on up, Misty. Yes. Yes.
0: And like, who's going to, and then, you know, they got the debate. Fox is doing the debate and then everyone else covers them at the rally. Honestly, it's.
2: Which, look, debates, especially at this stage, as we all know, are ultimately about the earned media coverage or about your moment. He doesn't necessarily really need it anyway. But he gets it by a lot more if he does something like that than if he stands on the debate stage and they all attack him. And even if it's not successful, it's about the attack.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of the stage, um, we have to talk about this incredible New York Times story about the advice that Ron DeSantis' super PAC uh, is giving him for the first debate. So... I'm really
2: hopeful that you're going to quote exactly from some of the lines suggested because it really brings it to life when you do that.
0: (laughs) Jen, I am going to quote some, but I have like so many written down between the Mm -hmm. New York Times story and between the Washington Post story uh, that is headlined, Awkward Americans See Themselves in Ron DeSantis. The, such a masterful piece by Ben Terrace. <laughs> the Awkward get...
2: American Caucus. <laughs> it's
0: a critical demographic. It's like, oh. the soccer, it's like the soccer moms of 2024. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so super PACs aren't supposed to privately coordinate with campaigns. So sometimes they make their advice public for campaigns, so they communicate via the public because that's legal. But this is unusual because Ron DeSantis' super PAC dumped hundreds of pages of memos and polling on the website of Jeff Rowe's firm. Jeff Rowe is running the super PAC. And here's what it says about the debate. There are four basic must-dos for uh, GRD, whose Governor Ron DeSantis, is in, the, in these memos. One, attack Joe Biden in the media three to five times. Two, state GRD's positive vision two to three times. Three, hammer Vivek Ramaswamy in a response. And four... Defend Donald Trump in absentia in response to a Chris Christie attack. Jen, what do you think? Good advice. Good advice. for. I mean, there's a
2: lot to unpack there. Let me start with a very small thing. Yes. G like GRD. Did we ever call him PBO? President Obama. It's very
0: weird. Very weird weird. to do GRD. I almost didn't know
2: who it was for a second. Same. Um, The Vivek Ramaswamy thing. That should stick out to people for how far he has fallen, right? Yes, Vivek Ramaswamy, I guess, is having a moment or a surge of some sort. I don't know. But Ron DeSantis was like the guy who was going to take out Donald Trump six months ago, right? Or a little over six months ago. Now his objective is to take out Vivek Ramaswamy. So that's two. The third thing, and this is where the line is so powerful, is the line that they suggest to him is something about how Donald Trump is so weak, he's not here. We shouldn't be aligning ourselves. And this is a reference to Chris Christie, I'm paraphrasing here, with somebody who's campaigning for a contract with MSNBC. That's part of the line, right? Yeah. But I mean, no one thinks people can think all sorts of things about Donald Trump. No one in the Republican electorate thinks he is weak. He is ahead by 20 to 30 points. So it's just such an odd attack in my view. But yes, there's a lot to unpack there.
0: Well, it's, it's also like it's like Trump isn't here, so let's just leave him alone. Oh, he's let's leave we- him alone. I'm sorry, I forgot that yeah. part.
2: That's why the language is so good.
0: He's <laughs> too weak. So he's too weak to defend himself. But let's leave him alone, guys.
2: He's like a gentle puppy who needs to be <laughs> just treated with care and tenderness. Um, yeah.
0: <laughs> Dan, what do you think about this?
2: Well, look, I think you guys
1: are being overly harsh. When has playing for second not been a great strategy? <laughs> <laughs> The the entire thing about attacking Vivek Ramaswamy is according to the internal New Hampshire polling data they posted on their chief consultant's website.
2: Yeah, that's true.
1: Ramaswamy is coming within shouting distance of DeSantis as the second place, so you're going to try to take them out. This is the exact same strategy that all these Yahoos used in 2016. The we went into this campaign where Ron DeSantis was pitching himself as Donald Trump without the baggage. Well, we've discovered he's actually Jeb Bush with lots of baggage. (laughs) that's the same, that's exactly, he's running the Bush campaign, but with less charisma, and that's saying a lot.
0: Can I just say this whole thing? This is the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard. Like, the fact that the Super PAC dumped all this stuff out on the website, just hundreds and hundreds of pages, they, they have damaged him, Ron DeSantis, so badly, because now imagine that Ron DeSantis says anything close to any of the stuff they told him to say, Chris Christie, Vivek Ramaswamy, anyone else now has like a ready-made response to anything. Did someone Rana tell Santos. you to say that? Yeah. Oh well, we all read the story in the New York Times about how your super PAC ordered you to say this, or like ordered you to be tough, ordered you to be uh, likable because one of the instructions is tell a tell a story about your family and then show it emotion. Com- show emotion. Show emotion.
2: Okay. I feel like I'm just gonna go- give like a slight counter object
0: point sure let's okay. do it oh, um debate I love it
2: okay so Ron <laughs> DeSantis I don't think anyone thinks he's going to light the world on fire with his charisma at this debate no. right
0: agreed um hmm. I
2: think that's safe right the the most comprehensive coverage he may get is of this memo and his strategy. <laughs> meaning like he might be not a memorable figure at this debate that's very possible And the only memorable part might be Nikki Haley and others taking a bite out of him, which they might do regardless. So I'm not saying I think we've all picked apart the absurdity of a lot of these strategic lines, but maybe the tactic of this is like, why the heck not? Maybe he's
1: so stupid. He's smart.
2: Well, the other (laughs) thing is, I also wonder the dynamics. We don't know this, but let's just go down a rabbit hole here. The dynamics of his of his super PAC and whether they don't have confidence in, like, the strategy of the campaign. Like, are they actually trying to send him a message? Or are they, like, what's the strategy here? Or are they just trying to get this, dump this out?
0: So, Jen, that was my first thought when I read this. When I read the headline, my first thought was, like, is this just, like, a head fake? But then when you read the story, which Maggie Haberman and Jonathan Swan and Shane Goldmacher wrote, they have this line in there that the the – so it was on the website – it was brought to the New York Times attention not by anyone connected with the DeSantis campaign, right? And and then once they it was discovered, if you go to the website now, there's still some, there's still a bunch of like Oppo on all the other candidates that's up there, and the Iowa and New Hampshire polling. But they took down the they took down the actual strategy memo, and they took down some other stuff. So they it does feel like they got caught. It became public, and then they took some stuff down because it was because it, it's embarrassing. It's so embarrassing. <laughs>
2: But meaning maybe they were trying to tell them, here's what to do, because you guys clearly don't know what to do.
0: Yeah.
1: I have. That is definitely true that they are saying that. And DeSantis has, while campaigns have been relying more on super PACs over the years since in the last decade, since 2012, DeSantis is doing something unprecedented. DeSantis's David Axelrod works for the super super PAC. PAC. So his chief political advisor, the big guy he hired beating out all the other yahoos to get, including Donald Trump, to get Jeff Rowe to work on his campaign, is legally prohibited from speaking to DeSantis. Now, the reason why I don't think that this was an intentional move on their part, which and I have swum in these waters before, but the way this normally works, there are two ways that super PACs and campaigns communicate with each other. One is through the press. And the super PAC will know, because someone will have told them, that if so-and-so was on the record... That is someone who is telling you what you want to know, Mm -hmm. right? So if it was like in our campaign, if it was David Plouffe, the suit, if there were no super PACs back then, but super PAC would know that he is telling you what the strategy actually is. And if that, and anyone else is given talking points. And so you do it through interviews, et cetera. The other way in the much sketchier way, and the way most of these people do it is they post these documents. What will happen is, is the campaign, it usually goes the other way. The campaign will post a document on a website with a secret URL. That no one else could find, but somehow the super PAC magically stumbles upon it. And instead of doing that, and I think this was an actual mistake from the camp, from the Axiom Strategies people, which is the Jeff Rose firm. They put it in the wrong place mm-hmm. because it's on their latest news stuff. So I think they just miscoded where they put it. Oh. And then someone found it, probably someone who works for one of these other candidates, maybe probably not Trump, and gave it to the Times. Because I think it, uh, there was there was a very embarrassed intern or web administrator at Axiom Strategies today who made this mistake. Because you wouldn't do it this way. If yeah. you wanted, they would just do it because they need to raise money. Yeah. So if they wanted to like send a full message, Jeff Rowe would just do an interview with Puck or something and give out right. all of the strategy. <laughs>
2: yeah. I like that. I feel bad for this web administrator, but that is a very <laughs> complex and intriguing theory.
0: Can I just say, like, there's a lot of, lot of fawning profiles of Jeff Rowe in various places. Uh, I don't think his advice is worth that much. Like, so he's he's identified that Vivek Ramaswamy is like gaining on DeSantis in all these polls, and that you got to take down Ramaswamy and Chris Christie and Chris so Christie and, and Chris Christie. And, Chris yep. and so his suggestion for hitting Ramaswamy during the debate is he's got he's got you could either call him fake Vivek or Vivek the fake. That's it. That's what that's the advice. That's what you're paying for for Jeff Rowe right there. That advice. Uh, He's got this really long winding thing about Donald Trump that Donald Trump was once a breath of fresh air that told the elite where to shove it and blah, blah, blah. But now there's just so many distractions that he's facing. I don't think he can he can lead the country forward. And and Ron DeSantis is the only candidate who can keep the Trump movement going. Actually, there's someone else who can keep the Trump movement going. Who's running Uh, Donald Trump. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's like. I just like why can't like if if he really wanted to attack Donald Trump the, the truth is he could just be like I like Donald Trump I think Donald Trump was a great president Donald Trump cannot win he cannot win an election and here's why like I you know you just even the advice they give is dumb
1: yeah I mean maybe Jeff Rowe is smart maybe he's not he his prior to 2021 his claim to fame in Republican politics was running Ted Cruz's campaign and losing to Donald Trump so congrats on beating Marco Rubio and Jeb Bush Let's put you in the consultant hall of fame. <laughs> then he was the chief consultant for Glenn Youngkin. And that's what made him a star that made it. So every Republican would want, we have seen this a thousand times where one person wins one expected race, the media and the party establishment anoint them as the next genius. Then they shit the bed the next time out. And that's kind of what Jeff Rowe's doing. And I think the the reason is, and maybe he's smart, but his bigger problem is not whether he's smart or not. It's that he's greedy because the reason he's at the super PAC is because that's where the money is.
0: Yeah. Uh, do you guys think that whatever DeSantis decides to do with the debate, he will at least reach those core voters that are his base, who are the awkward Americans that we uh, read about in the Washington Post story? Jen, did you read the story?
2: <laughs> I mean, he might reach the awkward Americans if he's authentic to himself. So we'll see if so, he achieves so that in the debate.
0: Ben Terras goes and interviews awkward Americans <laughs> who see themselves in Ron DeSantis. And some of the quotes in the story are, are truly amazing. One woman says, like Ron DeSantis, I also spend every day trying to act like a human. <laughs> <laughs> And he is he is he is referred to uh, by different people in the piece as a robot put together from scrapped spare parts from Disney's The Hall of Presidents, an extraterrestrial in a skin suit trying to learn to be human. These are quotes from people. This is not Ben Terrace's writing, to be no, clear. These oh, are ben
2: Terrace is an amazing writer.
0: Yes, yes. And the best part is even the awkward Americans who see themselves in Ron DeSantis. Then they turn around and say they don't want to vote for Ron DeSantis because he's, a, he's, he's an awkward person. And so they relate on that level, but they hate his politics. And so one of the awkward people says, given the decision between voting for him and getting a pap smear from a girl I went to high school with, hand me the paper gown.
2: <laughs> that is for that is real. Did that person think of that quote in the moment or was that written if down so, in preparation? If so, I'm very impressed. It's so she thinks on their feet.
1: Yeah, she maybe should. Maybe that's their go to quote about things they don't want to do. Maybe
0: I mean, she, maybe she should run the go to Applebee's pack. for
1: dinner. I'd rather
0: forget <laughs> yeah. Jeff, forget Jeff Rowe. She's going maybe places. She's
2: their girl. <laughs> Hire her.
0: This is the answer. This is the next, <laughs> next shakeup. All right. So <laughs> let's get back to the debate. The moderators are Brett Baer and uh, Martha McCallum from Fox News. Uh, they told Politico that Trump will be part of the questioning no matter what and that yep. they intend to jump right in on a new- on the news of the day, which is the Georgia indictments. If they ask about Georgia or any of the other indictments, what do you say if you're a candidate who actually wants to win the Republican primary, Jen?
2: Well, <laughs> given given only four of them have attacked Trump on his legal woes, shall we diplomatically call them? Um right. They don't think it's politically advantageous. I think it's not clear it is politically advantageous in the Republican primary, right? It's working a little bit for Chris Christie, maybe because he's kind of moved up in New Hampshire and is ahead of DeSantis now. And that his whole strategy is about attacking Trump on this stuff, but it doesn't seem to be moving Asa Hutchinson. Maybe he's got other issues. Um, I would say though, at this point, that going after Trump a bit on his, um, you know, not valuing democracy, not standing up for people's right to vote, trying to overturn an election, um, being a little loosey-goosey with classified information, whatever, There's pick your poison, uh, would probably be to all of their advantage. Because if they don't mix it up, they're, they're, there's no, they're not moving, you know, so they're not going to attack him, they're not going to move. So I would say if they want to move, they should attack him. But that's not necessarily what the polling is telling them. Okay, that's my long answer.
0: Dan, Dan what do you think? Do you have a uh, do you have a, a better line for Ron DeSantis than what um, what Jeff Rowe gave him?
1: <sighs> I think what Ron DeSantis and all these people should do is begin by attacking Joe Biden and the Democrats for weaponizing the government to attack all of their critics, from people who disagree with them online, for people who want to make their independent decisions about their family and Donald Trump. But make the point that the only way that they will be able to stop Joe Biden, the little liberal Democrats, is to beat them in November. And for all the good he did as president, Donald Trump is the person least likely on the state or the person in this race, because he's not on stage, least likely to do that. And we know that because he's the one who lost in 2020. And it's going to be very hard for him to improve on that performance when he is in court for six months at a time.
2: <laughs> it is surprising, to Dan's point, that none of them have really embrace this argument that donald trump is a loser right that his argument in 2022 lost that the candidates he endorsed lost that running as a candidate who is denying the outcome of 2020 is not a winner um it's like they don't run on the baggage or the fact that he is You know, Ron DeSantis kind of like skirts it or it's like in his strategy memos that like all of a sudden people are going to magically wake up one day and realize like it's Ron DeSantis. He's Donald Trump, but without the baggage. But they don't do the work to kind of point that out to people in terms of Trump being a loser in the electoral sense.
0: Yeah. And that's because they let themselves get painted into this corner by Trump and they were too afraid early on to say that the election wasn't stolen, that Joe Biden was the legitimate winner. And so they all had their like weird answers. And, you know, we were talking before you came on, Jen, Dan was pointing out that, you know, like 70% of Republican voters still think that, you know, Donald Trump actually won the 2020 election and Joe Biden's not the legitimate winner. And so if you believe if if they if these candidates know the voters believe that, then it's hard to call Donald Trump a loser because they're speaking to voters who don't think he lost. But like maybe if they did this earlier, <laughs> maybe if af- right after January 6th and they, they kept up, you know, some of them well, obviously were criticizing Trump then. But if they kept up uh, the messaging that, yeah, Donald Trump really did, did lose, then maybe the electorate wouldn't think that. <laughs> See, here's how, here's how you navigate that.
1: Donald Trump was so distracted by his petty grievances as a political problem that he even let sleepy Joe Biden steal the election from him. We can't let that happen again. The Democrats are already mobilizing to do what they did in 2020 again. How is Donald Trump going to stop him if he is stuck in court the whole time and unable to be out there fighting against the deep state?
2: Jeff Rowe, move over. Dan (laughs) Pfeiffer, looking for a super PAC sidekick. (laughs) Okay, so they're Martha McCallum, to your point, and Brett Baer have been talking a little bit about their strategy, right, or what they're going to do. And we'll see. We'll see. It's Fox News. Right. Yeah. And they have talked, as you said, about, um, you know, bringing up Trump. Voters need to know like all routes through Trump. Now, what she said was was kind of interesting. And maybe I'm overreading into it is when she was asked about whether they would talk, whether she, this isn't the vanity, uh, vanity fair piece, whether she thinks candidates views on the 2010 20 election will be a focus point in the 2024 race. She said, I think there's a lot of desire to look forward. That being said, these trials and issues push that question into the forum. It has to be dealt with and addressed. And I, uh, you know, and it, she was that she then said, they all know they're going to have to be clear on where they stand on it. Now, I'm like so what that led me to think, but I'm like maybe jumping too far here into what's possible on the Fox News debate is her saying raise your hand if you yes. think Biden won the 2020 election. I that was thinking
0: the same thing. What that's
2: pointing to, right? Yep. Which would be kind of a significant moment. Um I mean, I guess depending on what they do. Maybe I'm being too overly optimistic. Although DeSantis kind of made was a little more clear on the reality there recently. So,
0: who knows? No, je- Jen, that would be the best way to ask that question, too. I've, I had the same exact thought, which is like, if you just ask them, they're going to do their talking points where they like skirt. the. But if you just say, raise your hand, if you think Donald Trump lost the 2020 election, just show a yeah. hand. And make it make Donald Trump lost is even is even harder for them because they're not going to want to. cuz
2: was Joe Biden they, elect the legitimate, the legitimate elected president. Yeah, the legitimate winner. In 2020. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Who will,
0: I, want, I wonder who raises their hands uh, in that scenario. No one. Wait, no one. No one says that Asa Joe Biden Hutchinson was a legitimate does, winner.
2: Probably right.
0: Legitimately won. Christy does. Legitimately won.
2: Christie. Christie will. Asa
0: Hutchinson. Well, P- Pence is basically uh, this. Is, I think it's tough. Well, Asa Hutchinson it's
1: legitimate just, is the out because they all argue that yes, Joe Biden won, but there were wa- there were a lot of questions and some shenanigans.
0: What like
1: how they were the question is going to matter. But these, you're right. It. These. Yeah. yeah. Well,
2: if they don't say legitimate. Yeah, what <laughs> if
1: they just say who? Yeah, if
0: Joe Biden won or did Donald Chris, Trump Chris Christie's
1: going to start. Here's what Chris Christie'll start yelling at Brett Bear about <laughs> how these uh, hand raising questions are bullshit, and we're not going to do that. I'm not going to play your games, and they're all going to just they're going to uh, just co- they're going to ride his coattails to avoid doing it because Chris, Chris Christie's smart enough to know that that's a terrible position for him to be in, and he's not going to go by it. And they'll get out of it. I hope Chris Christie, PSA fan, probably is now going to do that because we've given him that advice. I think he'll
0: raise. I think he'll raise his hand and be and be proud of it
2: contrarian yeah oh
0: my god I, I mean he's he he said it it's not like it's like some courageous thing for him to do just now at the debate he's been saying it all for like the last couple months he's been saying it everywhere he goes including on pod save america <laughs> all right man i hope you i hope you're right for the sake of i even think i even think you could get mike pence you get Mike. i get mike pence to raise his hand i mean it's mike pence is not gonna the understand day. the question mike pence is gonna go like Mike Mike Pence's by the way, Mark Short, Mike Pence's senior advisor, has this quote for in Politico. In oh, I know exactly
2: the one you're talking about, and I didn't like, say it.
0: <laughs> you know what? We're we're so ready for this debate, it's let's get it on time. That's what he said. It's let's get it on time for Mike Pence. It was a f- yep. First time for everything for Mike Pence, I guess. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yep, yep.
0: Let's talk about Joe Biden. He's been uh, barnstorming the country this week to celebrate the one-year anniversary of the uh, Inflation Reduction Act. Happy anniversary, guys. Uh, He gave a speech in Wisconsin where he criticized Ron Johnson for voting against the bill and supporting outsourcing. But he didn't mention Trump, Trump's indictments, or Trump at all. And it's not just Biden. Most Democrats have been pretty quiet about Trump's 91 felony counts. Uh, Here's what a Biden campaign alum, could, could be anyone, said to Playbook about the thinking behind this. Quote, Americans know what Trump did. A lesson of every election cycle from 2018 to now is: don't get mired in the endless details of Trump scandals. Talk about values and agendas. So, Jen, you and I talked about this uh, a little bit when you interviewed me on MSNBC a couple weeks ago. This yeah, is very meta. Uh, yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> now we're flipping it. Um, what, what do you think? Is it? Do you think it's feasible and or wise for Biden and Democrats to avoid talking about what will very likely be the biggest story of the 2024 campaign?
2: So I think it's, um, there's a big gap between never talking about it and diving in and talking about the details of the indictments and cases in this moment to me, right? So I think it's wise for them not to dive into the details of the indictment and the specifics right now. One, because it's already, people already say, Republicans, not people are saying, like (laughs) Trump supporters already saying it's politicized. They're going to say that anyway, but that feeds into it. They don't need to do that in this moment. Um, I do think whoever this Biden aide person was and granted Biden has been in public office and running for office for decades. So it could literally be anyone. It could be anyone. <laughs> but um, what they're, I think what I'm hearing from what they're saying, the values argument is still likely talking about the cases without saying Georgia indictment, right? Yeah. It is making the case on the contrast and the difference between Joe Biden is somebody who stands up for democracy, stands up for your rights, whether it's to vote or make choices about your own body. There's a big values argument to be made that is exactly about the cases that I think he will make. I also think right now, it's not the right moment. This is all happening. I mean, there's 19 people are going to turn themselves in next week or not, I guess. I don't even know. Right. I don't know that they need to be like throwing fire or whatever, stuff on the fire in this particular moment. But that would be my take.
0: Dan?
1: The hard part about this, and it's the thing that the people screaming at the top of their lungs that Democrats should be talking about this seem to miss, is the people we need to persuade are the ones who also are most likely to think that these are politicized investigations. Yeah. In the CBS News YouGov poll, they ask voters what they're more concerned about, whether the investigations are politicized or what Donald Trump actually did to try to overturn the election. By 41 to 38, independents say they are more concerned about the elec- the investigations being political than what Donald Trump actually did. And so if all of a sudden every Democrat under the sun is talking about this all the time, that's not going to help that problem. Yeah. But of course, he has to talk about it. You can't not talk about your opponent. And so the way to probably do it is something like, I am not going to comment on these investigations. I would never comment on a criminal investigation. I've never talked to anyone in the Justice Department about it. No one who works for me has talked to him about it. But you all saw what happened on January 6th. Yeah. I have said this from from the very beginning, go dating back to when I decided to run in 2019. That our democracy is at stake, people's freedoms are at stake, and it is very clear. And you can and you go from there. Just you got to dispense and make the broader argument about Trump that you would make, even if he wasn't, yeah, facing 91 felony counts in four jurisdictions.
2: Right, like similar to the 2020 argument in some ways. Um, just uh, you know. This is why Dan was in charge and I was the deputy because- Oh, you so
1: surpassed me. It's not even it funny. Better. <laughs> you took my job. I, you I did it like better. Then you decided to become the, the press secretary and just and do like, donuts on the White House lawn. I would just try to organize now you host a show. People,
2: and I'd like throw Starburst into the office when it was like a bad day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, please, smart please, please, and please, just do a smartness.
1: Yes. And I just- You're, you are a world-renowned Democratic communicator. You host a show on cable and I videotape my phone calls with John. Yes. <laughs>
0: Who was, who was just in the basement, into. who was just in the West Wing basement the whole time, uh, you know, not told about big speeches until the last minute.
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you, had, you had four and a half years in the White House, didn't have a single window. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. I do think that's, I think this is like, it's simpler than the debate would suggest yeah. that's out there, right? Because the, people are going to say, like, oh, he's out there talking about the economy and kitchen table issues, but he should be talking about democracy. It's like, first of all, he's got to do both. The persuadable voters that we're talking about are do care a lot about the economy. He should be touting the accomplishments of the Biden administration. He should be talking about the issues that, um, you know, kitchen table issues. He's going to be talking about abortion quite a bit, as he should. And... He should be talking about democracy, which is not only because Donald Trump's on trial, because this is this is the basis for Joe Biden's entire campaign. You know, the, you guys were talking about the yeah. 2020 announcement, right? He said, if we give Donald Trump eight years in the White House, he will forever and fundamentally alter the character of this nation. That is that was from his announcement speech. That is a pretty tough attack on Donald Trump.
2: Which has gotten scarier since then. Right. Yes. Fair to say. And this was, I mean, you know, I remember in 2016, during that transition, which was a wild toad ride of craziness. Um, <laughs> it That was the concern of all of our former boss, Barack Obama, right? Is like, yeah. okay, it's like one term, we don't know what's going to happen. We didn't anticipate all of the horrible that was going to happen necessarily, some of it. But two terms is when things... There's no repercussions. You're not going to be held accountable by voters. Um, You live by a different set of rules. And a second term is way scarier. That, That is still true.
0: And I do think that the challenge for the Biden campaign is going to be painting a picture for voters about what a second Trump term could look like and doing it in a way that lines up with you know, what people are concerned about, what they might be worried about, all that kind of stuff. So I, I think that like that's when you're really sort of figuring out the frame of the argument, and the negative frame about Donald Trump. I think you do have to push it forward and talk about like what he might do in a second term. And part of that's going to be on policy, but part of it's going to be what he might do to democracy or what he's likely to do to democracy. And by the way, you're all seeing him sit in court right now because he tried to overturn an election last time.
2: Yeah, like say, get rid of the Justice Department and make Jeffrey Clark the leader who also sits outside the Oval Office. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, no, like that sort know. of
0: thing. Defense Secretary Mike Flynn, uh, again, Q- Q- supporter, yeah. Mike Flynn. Yeah, it's gonna be great. All right, so uh, Jen, you have uh, graciously agreed to stick around for a round of two takes and a fake. Oh, I love which, it. Which, which which Elijah uh, is going to uh, moderate right now. If we can get Elijah on the uh, areas. Hey, Elijah.
3: Hey, y'all. How's it going?
0: <laughs> it's good. It's good. We're excited, for, uh, we're excited to play two takes and a fake.
3: Great. Let's get into it. <laughs> Welcome back to two takes and a fake. It's our take on the classic game, two truths and a lie. I'm going to read you all three takes. Two of them are real. One of them is a fake. John, Dan, and Jen you three will have to sniff out the fake. Thank you to our subscribers who sent these in. Sign up at crooked.com slash friends to join our community. John, Dan, and Jen, are you ready to play?
2: Ready. It does feel like 23 is a harder time to play this game, hence (laughs) the reason to play it.
3: (laughs) I think you're gonna do fine. Okay. All right. Ready. Let's start with some MAGA pundit reactions to the Fulton County indictment. Here's take number one. If you say, I need to find 11,000 votes, That's very different from saying, I need you to find me 11,000 votes somewhere. Here's take number two. Whatever you think of the Trump indictments, one thing is for certain. The glass has now been broken over and over again. Political opponents can be targeted by legal enemies. Running for office now carries the legal risk of going to jail on all sides. And here's take number three. The liberal media should keep comparing Donald Trump to Tony Soprano. Every man wants to be Tony Soprano. Every woman wants to be with Tony Soprano. Oh, <laughs> which one is the fake?
2: I want number three to be real, but I think number three is the fake because I feel like I know number two, and I think I know number one. Okay, that's yeah.
0: Taken same, back. same. I'm, I'm with Jen. I, I think I know the first two.
1: Yeah, I I want number three to be real. And if Elijah was playing the game, then the way he normally plays it, number three would definitely be real. Yeah. But I'm gonna, I will side with you guys.
3: You guys are correct. Number three is the fake. I mean, bonus points. Who said number one and number two? Number one, again, is the 11,000 votes is different than 11,000 votes.
0: Does anyone know? I, I can take it if no. I, it's, uh, I think it's uh, our friend Janine Pirro. Oh, I'm so impressed <laughs> that you got that. Yes, that's correct. I am an addict. I am a news addict. <laughs> it's not okay. healthy.
2: I know number two. Ted Cruz. I thought you guys Lindsey would know Graham. number two. I don't remember.
0: Dan, do you it's know? not Lindsey Graham.
2: Ted Cruz? No. Not I'm, an elected official. I, oh. I know
0: it. Let's go for it. Go ben for Shapiro. It. Mr. Offline.
2: Oh, Ben Shapiro. That's right. <laughs> there was a whole Ben Shapiro meet Ben Shapiro. Yes, <laughs> that's, that's right. happening. That's on right. what is formerly known as Twitter and whatever we call it now, X or whatever it is, I'm not. Engaged.
1: I think we call it Twitter on this podcast. We're not okay. Good. We're not giving it Elon Musk.
0: Rating. Okay, good. By the way, Ben Shapiro is so full of shit. He writes a he writes an entire book in 2014, "The People versus Barack Obama," where he suggests a RICO case against Barack Obama for the uh, this is going to trigger Dan uh, the IRS scandal. That's what that was the whole book about. He wanted to he wanted a racketeering charge against Barack Obama and the Justice Department and the IRS for the for the IRS scandal. And now he's like, I don't know. We don't want to be charging presidents. I'm getting a sense this Ben Shapiro fellow may not be on the level. No, he's full of shit. Full of shit.
3: Well, congratulations on getting the first one, John. I'm impressed and also concerned for you. They knew both of
1: those. Not only did John know point? it, he tweeted about it, which is a thousand times worse. I exed. I yeah, you didn't retweet. You did an original original content with this. Yeah. With this. Yikes!
3: All right, let's move on to round two, which will be headlines. These are three headlines from pieces that ran in various publications this week. Uh, headline number one. Is George's case against Trump one too many? Headline number two, how should the GOP respond to Fulton County? Indict the left. (laughs) Headline number three, Jack be not nimble, Jack be not quick, how Trump is outmaneuvering Jack Smith. Oh, wow.
1: (laughs) Well, we know one is real. Yeah. We've talked about it previously in this podcast. (sighs) This is tough. Elijah really do the fake one as a third one twice in a row. It also it also sounds like a Maureen
0: Dowd column, the third one.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But it sounds so long. That's what's like really getting me, which makes it sound fake. But also like the notion could be real. I still think three is a fake.
0: I'm gonna go with two, just to try to mix this up a little
1: bit.
2: Mix it up.
0: I'm gonna go with two as well.
3: Jen, our guest, congratulations, oh, you're correct. Three oh, is the four fake. points, got ah,
2: we bonus points. How does the point yeah. system
0: work? <laughs> no, you Jen won. wins. It means Jen you wins. are the- She won outright. You are the winner. It's, congratulations, it's your, your first time.
2: Thank you.
3: Well, we do have a third round, I will say. Oh, uh, we have a third okay. round? I
0: know we talked about two, but there's, there's good stuff out there. Um, <laughs>
2: a big Great. week in the two two reels and a fake or
0: yeah this, this isn't television jane we have all the time here we can just we can go for hours
2: you can you're gonna just <laughs> no. like edit out you'll edit out the part where i win i know <laughs> nope. where this goes nope, we're just...
1: <laughs> hopefully hopefully someone's got
0: a long commute home today <laughs> this is a bonus bonus round here we go
1: Tough to protect lead. that
3: second one is from charlie kirk he's been on that kick uh, for a long time okay okay yep. Sounds. so right. these are these are quotes from voters on the ground These are just some fun things I ran into. Uh, Voter number one, they're trying to do so much with the indictments. The Democrats are so much worse, but they control the House so they can do what they want to Trump. Voter number two, Trump might say mean things that make all the men cry because the men are wearing your wife's underpants and you can't be a man anymore. But at the end of the day, you want results. Donald Trump's proved that at a national level. Voter three, Russia, 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 all over again. The witch hunts are making us stronger. Go ahead and indict him again. It only makes me support him more.
2: Mm. Two cannot be real.
0: <laughs> yeah. Two, I'm going to stick with a winner, Jen Psaki. Two is absolutely real. I'm going to go with three. John is right. Two <laughs> is absolutely real. It was from the New York Times. <laughs> it, was a, it was a voter in the New York Times Siena poll.
2: Oh, my God. Yes. I feel like I can't believe I missed that. <laughs> it's
0: wild. I
2: think that that person and the person you mentioned earlier should form a bipartisan firm <laughs> for messaging. <laughs>
0: that
2: would just be amazing.
0: Wild. Wild stuff.
3: I think Jen still wins. She gets I mean, a guest point. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. It's not even okay. to, Absolutely.
0: obviously. Good. Also, good. I'm terminally online, and it's a problem. Uh, Jen Saki, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us today. Thank you, Your- guys. Your fantastic show, Inside with Jen Psaki, is also available wherever you get your podcasts. So after you listen to this podcast, just start listening to Jen. Yeah. Have, that's perfect. And you're also hosting a special this Sunday at 7 p.m., I hear. It's uh, I am I- Inside with Jen Psaki Special Report Decision 2024. What are you going to be talking about?
2: Very lengthy title. We're going to be talking about the Republican <laughs> debate next week.
0: Oh, that's and so fun.
2: Perhaps the confluence of events next week that may take place at the same time including Donald Trump potentially turning himself in the same day or the next day but mainly the debate and also obviously lots of legal news as well
0: oh that's so exciting uh what what a week for me to be on vacation yikes <laughs> <laughs> i'll be put your i'll your be phone t- down put your phone Yeah, down. I, I should i should put my phone down i will not for the republican debate but otherwise i will uh okay. jen thank you so much for joining thank you, guys uh, everyone have a good weekend, and uh, I'll I'll see you guys in a couple weeks. But uh, but but Dan and Tommy and Love it will be here next week. So
2: enjoy your vacation. Congrats on yeah, number two.
0: Thank you, thank you, thank you. As Dan uh, can
2: confirm, it becomes real with two children. One,
0: I uh, yes, block. I I, my, I feel it coming. My,
1: my take on this is when you when you have your first child, everyone tells you it's perfect and amazing, and then when you tell people you're having your second child, that's when they give you like real hardcore like yeah appraisals of what it's like and i'm not going to do that for you well no. i've
0: seen it because all all my friends in la who have two kids seem much more tired and harried <laughs> than, okay, than those but, of us with one child <laughs> hope,
2: the positive note is that the relationship between them is so amazing it yes. makes it all worth it after that's you, what i'm hoping like, for. after you and emily sleep you know however many months in then that relationship is amazing so there's
1: last last night for one straight hour my kids who are age five and two played nicely together in a room with no conflict oh that's so no cool violence. it was truly wonderful I, i've but the, only the problem is i couldn't really do anything because i every there were every moment i thought it was going to come to an end and i was gonna have to run in there but it was uh, sweet and wonderful.
2: And my kids, who are eight and five, sleep insist on sleeping in the same room.
0: Oh, that's really They've been cute. In the same room for years. No. So
2: it's cute. It's great. It's magical after after the baby to be sleeps.
0: Well, Emily and I is that part. Emily is due on January seventh, and so that is just right between uh, Jack Smith's trial begins <laughs> and the Iowa caucuses on January fifteenth. So this is gonna be great. <laughs> going to be amazing. Can't, can't wait. Um, baby right. Jack. Baby Jack. Can't wait to meet you. <laughs> right, of course. <laughs> That's so resistance. I love it. I'm going to do it. Uh, thank you, Jen. Everyone have a good weekend. We'll talk to you later.
1: Bye, guys. Bye, everyone.
0: Pod Save America is a Crooked Media production. The executive producer is Michael Martinez. Our producers are Andy Gardner-Bernstein and Olivia Martinez. It's mixed and edited by Andrew Chadwick. Jordan Cantor is our sound engineer, with audio support from Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis. Thanks to Hallie Kiefer, Madeline Herringer, Ari Schwartz, Andy Taft, and Justine Howe for production support. And to our digital team, Elijah Cohn, Phoebe Bradford, Mia Kelman, Ben Hefko, and David Toles. Subscribe to Pod Save America on YouTube to catch full episodes, exclusive content, and other community events. Find us at youtube.com slash